We're beginning late, actually, for a change. Um, I'd like to make a reminder again. Remind everybody, all those that have not yet taken care of selling their chametz, you should please do so. Oh, you smoke. Hello. I'm middle of a shear. I'm middle of a shear online. Yeah. Um. It's extremely imperative, it's important that one sells their chametz before Pesach. Being that a person who owns chametz on Pesach is over two laven from the Torah, which means they are desecrating two negative commandments. It tells us, Chomet should not be seen to you, and Le'yemote. And Chomet may not be found. And the Gemara then tells us that a person that has Chomet on Pesach is over Bal Yemote. Not being allowed to see and not being able to find. What is the technical term and the difference in essence? This, this, the difference is a simple one actually. one may not see chametz in their house. So if they would only say balyirah, one would think only the chametz that I can actually see. The Torah tells us, look, by Yemotza as well, even if it's in the person's confines, a person would be over even if they don't know it. Technically, the Gemara asks, everything has to have a reason. It makes sense. Why can't you have Chabbats? And the logical reason that we would say why we cannot have chametz in the house because you're not allowed to eat chametz. You're not allowed to eat chametz for the duration of Pesach, which is a extremely severe negative. Huh? The wrong outside. It's not outside. It is outside. What is it? It's a new rug. That was important. Um, person may not eat on Pesach, Chometz. Now that's a very severe thing, and it says, it comes from, again, derived from that the carbon Pesach had to be eaten. Mommy will have your head. Rightfully so. I'm trying to give a shear with the recording. Do you mind? So obnoxious. 
person may not eat because when the person has shechting the carbon Pesach, they're slaughtering the carbon Pesach, the person may not have chomets in their possession. Therefore, chomets may not be eaten throughout the duration of Pesach. What is our concern? Our concern is a person is used to eating chametz. Naturally. I eat chametz a whole year long. The Lushan of the Gemara, Shema Yimtza Gluske Yafe. Perhaps the person will find a nice cookie, a nice donut, a nice piece of cake. And he'll forget. He'll forget it's Pesach. Uh-huh. A Yom Kippur, a person fasting, and he sees a good piece of chocolate, he sees a good cold bottle of beer, a bottle of soda, or something. He's tempted, but he knows it's Yom Kippur, I'm fasting. A whole year long, if I'm in my house, and I see a good cookie, a piece of cake on the table, I say I'm on a diet. For those who don't are not inclined that way, and they don't worry that a minute on the lips is a month on the hips. <laughs> they see a piece of cake on the table. They make a bracha and they eat it. Just a question. And therefore, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, in the middle of a share. Um, I'll tell. I'll, I'll tell her to call the No. Ah, 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 ah. One second. Um, one second. I'll have a call you right back. Locate my wife, please. Locate my wife. Ask her to call Rabbi Dechter. Rabbi Dechter. Yeah. So therefore the Gemara is involved and says, concerned, that the person will find this good piece of cake in the middle of Pesach and automatically take it in his mouth in order to prevent that the tailor goes to the length, to the great length of saying, Bal Yiroh, Bal Yimot, do not have it at all in your house. Turn on the middle light switch and please stop talking. It's not right. So in order not to have the problem, not to have the issue of having chametz in your possession, chametz in your house, probably ended up in Shemus already. Go get your mother. The person sells their chametz. 
in the beginning, before Pesach, before the time of the Isser of Pesach. The person has to sell the chametz. Now, selling the chametz is several different ways. In truth, what are we doing when we're selling our chametz? We're seeing to it that the chametz is no longer ours and now belongs to the goy. <clears throat> Obviously, it's purchased back after Pesach. There are those that are very careful to the extent that when they come to the Rav to sell their chametz, they don't only write their address and their name and address or apartment number or which closet the chametz is in, but if they're going away for Yom Tif, they leave the key with the Rav and the Rav can actually give the key to the guy. <coughs> and thereby the guy knows that any given time during Pesach he can enter this house and take whatever he wants in the realm of Chometz of course <coughs> it's not a ploy it's not a game and it's not something that we are pulling the wool over someone's eyes it's not as if we're telling the Torah, um, I know you told me I can't have chametz, and therefore I'm going to do something around your back, behind your back. And I'm going to go and get chametz, and I'll give it to the goy. And right now the goy owns it. As long as the goy owns it, there's no problem. And I'll take it back from the goy after Pesach. You're not fooling the Torah. Torah recommends just this. The famous story of uh, an innkeeper, a Jewish innkeeper, in a very anti-Semitic surrounding, surprise, surprise, in the old Russian days, and the guy decided they're going to pull a quickie on him. They knew that Erev Pesach comes, and he gets one of the Ivanim, one of the Russian peasants, to sign a paper with him. Thereby, he's selling the Chavitz to the guy. And by selling the Chavitz, you writing it now? No, Allah. What? Can I ask you a question? No, go ahead. Can I give it to my Mexican to give it to Sima? Can I give it to Alice to give it to Sima? Because if you might go to the hospital tonight. Is that necessary? Why? She's going to call you and appoint you as Shliach. Okay. Why don't she just appoint you? Because she's selling it to me. Um. So they went, the Goyim came together, they conspired, decided to pull a good conspiracy, 
And it said nobody should buy his chametz. And they figured out if nobody buys his chametz, he has to throw it out. What is that? Leibis, take it out. If nobody buys his chametz, then fafuched. It'll all belong to. It'll have to. will have to throw it out. And therefore, we'll have free vodka. No, it was getting later. It was a few days of Pesach. And Moshka was going from one guy to the next. No, no, you don't buy my chametz. And everybody said, no, Moshka, we're not buying your chametz. And no matter what he offered them and everything else, it wasn't happening. And it's coming, it's Erev Pesach in the morning. And he doesn't want to have a minute of Pesach. So immediately he takes his wagon, he loads up all the barrels, and he drives them to the end of town. And he drives them to the end of the town. Town's huh? going after ten. What? I don't know what you told him, but I can't talk. Gitzah, he took all the stuff on the wagon, he rode it out to the end of the town, and he stood there and he sat in front of every, anyone that was standing there, the guy were all surrounding, happy, watching his barrels, and he said, This is now Hefker. Hefker ka'afre the Ara, which means. It's worthless, it has no value to me, like the earth on the ground. And that's it, I no longer own this. Comes Hefka. Hefka means there's no owner, and it's ownerless, anyone that can take possession of it. And the Yid was in a turmoil. Am I happy? Am I sad? I'm happy in one way. I must just did the mitzvah. I was mekayim the mitzvah of bir chametz. Sad, I'm broke. I'm wiped out. I've been wiped out. No, he decided. It's yamtiv. It's yamtiv. Tafen zayin sefriden. Must be freilach. Jumped up. He's happy. He smiles, and he runs home. He runs home. He gets up off a chair. He runs home, and he spends Pesach. After Pesach finished, he understands, of course, that his barrels must be empty. He's only hoping and praying that they left the barrels intact, at least. They didn't destroy the barrels as well. So that maybe he could start making again mashka. And he comes to the outskirts of the town, and the Goyim are standing, cursing and screaming and yelling at him. 
What do you want? He says, what do you want? So they say, um, you lied. You pulled a quickie on us. So what did I do? You put somebody to watch the the mashke. So what are you talking about? They said the whole Pesach long, there was a guard standing there in front of your barrels, and nobody was nobody could go over to it. And the guard stood there waving his sword. Anyone who came near, he was going to chop their heads off. So we could not touch your mashke, and therefore it's still there, fully intact. Now, I don't know if you ever heard the story of the Lady of the Tiger. It was written, I think, by O'Henry or somebody like that. And um, com would appreciate it if I made a mistake. It was written by somebody else. You can let me know. Um, the Lady of the Tiger is a very intriguing story. An emperor had his only daughter and the only daughter fell in love with a servant a servant and a servant is not allowed to marry who hit the internet I don't know but someone unplugged me unplugged the thing over here Anyway, the servant and the princess were in love. And they wanted to get married. But it's unheard of. And it's also against the law. A guy cannot marry a prince. A, prin- a servant cannot marry a princess. So the reaction was, of course, the emperor wanted to kill the servant. But the princess loved the servant. And she begged the father, please don't. Um, it didn't help much. Because he... Stupid internet went off. I don't have my keys. Let me drop my car last They came to a compromise. An interesting compromise. The emperor said, I see that you really love this guy. And you honestly don't want me to kill him. However, according to the law of the land, that's the rules. He has to be killed. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put him on trial. What's the trial? The trial is going to be we're going to put him in the arena in front of everybody 
and in front of everybody, there'll be two doors. There'll be two doors. One door. Which problem? One door. There'll be a lion, tiger, and the other door will be a lady. And he'll have a choice. He'll choose one of the doors. If he chooses the tiger, tiger hasn't eaten in two days, he'll be lunch. If he... That makes sense. If he chooses the lady, he gets to marry her, and he goes free. And this was to be the trial. The arena was full. Thousands and thousands of people around. And the servant is standing there in front of the two doors. And he looks up to the emperor, he bows his head. And next to the emperor is the princess. And the princess... Signals with her head to one of the doors. That's the end of the story. And the question that the writer says, it asks, What, my dear reader, do you think? Do you think, perhaps, that the princess's love was so strong for him, she could not see him hurt? and therefore said, I will give you up to somebody else, rather than have you hurt? Or, would the princess say, if I can't have you, nobody will have you, and she sent him to the tiger. Mm-hmm. This is the question that comes about over here. The man says, we say, as a normal person, this malach, this angel was sent to save this man's mashke, all his liquor, protected it because he did the mitzvah of Pesach so sincerely. So in essence he said that it's hefke, it's not his, like we do everything else. We say, after B'dikah's comments, we say, Kol Chamira V'chamira, which we're going to talk about in a moment. He did the right thing. God protected him. And God gave him an angel. He should be happy. He should turn around with his wagon and take it home. Not Achasid. Achasid doesn't work like that. Achasid said, I have to sell my chametz. I didn't sell it. I made it Hefke. Did I full-heartedly... When I sell it, I full-heartedly sell it. I have no question, it's sold. It's all in mind. But when I made it Hefke, and I said I nullified it, was there something in deep down recesses of my mind saying I don't mean it? And thereby, I did not totally give this away? And thereby, having chametz 
in my possession over Pesach. And therefore the Chassid spilled the Rashka out. This is the, today's day and age it doesn't go so, ha- so hard. Today's day and age you have certain goyim that are lined up destined for this purchase and they wait for it every year, they make a nice buck. They usually somebody works in the community so that people know who they are. And we go, we can sell it to the guy. However, it would be a little ridiculous for the guy to deal with all the people singular basis. So it was established that you go to your of and you sell your chametz to your of, and your love in turn is your emissary to sell your chametz to the guy. And thereby now the guy owns the chametz throughout Pesach. The Alter Rebbe doesn't necessarily hold it that way. Alter Rebbe says there's a concept here which Alter Rebbe refers to as Maimed Shloshton which is to make this all in a, in a triangle. And it's not only that I'm appointing as an emissary, but it's almost as if I'm actually giving it to the Rav. The Rav is purchasing it from me. And now it's the Rav is selling his Chomet to the guy. So the non-Jew now owns the Chomet of the Rav's. The Rav, when he buys it back after Pesach, automatically bequeaths it back to the owners prior to Pesach. Erev Pesach, tomorrow night, is Leil B'dikas Chomets. Of course, Leil B'dikas Chomets means it has to be at night. Er the Mishnah tells us that the night before the 14th, we are Bedi Chomets with a candle's light. B'dikas Chomets, it's day based again on the Gemara. The Gemara tells us what happens, a scenario, if the person put down ten pieces of chametz before B'dikas chametz, and he was B'dikas chametz and he only found nine. So what does he have to do? The Gemara also gives us a scenario, what happens if he put down ten and he found eleven. That's a little more problematic to the person because these pieces of chametz should not be multiplying. <laughs> And the only way that that usually would happen is either a child brought in the neighbors or a rodent did it for him. Just one little thing on the parish, actually. It's so beautiful about that I wanted to mention. And just for the record, why we're not mentioning Shmini this week, which is the parsha of the week that we're learning in the Chitas. Shmini Shmina. It goes in my car. It's going to be on my seat. On your seat? 
Shmini Shmina. Shmini is read this year eight times. Pasha Shmini. The custom is every Shabbos we read another Pasha in the Torah. The custom is also because in the olden days people lived far away from town and didn't have the capacity and capability of davening with a minion every day. But they sought to come for Shabbos to the town to daven with a minion. So on Monday and Thursday, we read the Torah. Since they were not able to come to town, they didn't. They missed it. So in order that they should know what is being read that week, Shabbos, which they're still in town for, by Mincha, we read the upcoming parasha Tosheni. For those who are making it to shul every day, Monday and Thursday they lay in as well. So now, this past Shabbos was Pasha Sav. Shabbos Mincha, we read Shmini. That's once. On Monday, we read Shmini twice. On Thursday, we read Shmini three times. This Shabbos, we're not reading Shmini. However, Shabbos afternoon for Mincha, we're going to reach Shmini again. That's four times. Monday and Thursday is going to be Chalamayid. We're not going to read. Acher and Shal Pesach is Shabbos. And Shabbos, and by Mincha, again, we're going to read Shmini. That's five. Then Monday and Thursday, the following week after Pesach, the sixth and seven, and then Shabbos, Pasha Shmini, we're going to ultimately read Shmini. So eight times Shmini is read. Shmini, of course, means eight. So therefore, since we're going to speak about that, Mietz Hashem, Pasha Shmini, the year after Pesach, therefore, we are going to basically concentrate on Pesach. However, there's one beautiful thing I'd like to mention about Pes- about Pasha Shmini today. And the reason is because it has a significance to Pesach. In Pasha Shmini, amongst the many things that it talks about, it talks also about not eating certain animals. What we can eat, what we can't eat, and most importantly, it says we cannot eat a sheritz. What? A vermin. Bugs. And it mentions that a person who does, it will have as chataschem, your sins. Thank you. But as chataschem is interestingly written without an aleph. But it doesn't have the Aleph in it. It's Chestes. Chatas Chesof. 
Why is the Aleph missing? Farshim tell us to teach us that anyone that eats bugs is a fool. <laughs> Why is a person a fool for eating bugs? Phenomenal, phenomenal explanation. A person tends sometimes to do things wrong. They tend to do an avera. When a person does an avera, does a sin, the Almighty wants to punish. Sometimes even, the Almighty wants to destroy the person. Then the Almighty looks at his creations and sees the bug. This is a question that Eliyahu Navi asked, by the way. What value does the bug have? It does nothing. If it does nothing, why is it in existence? And the answer is, because God looks down and says, I want to kill the Jews for the sin. And then He says, wait a minute. I am allowing a bug to exist on the world. What's the bug? Worthless. It has no value. If I allow a worthless, valueless bug to exist on the world, for doing nothing, how much more so my Jewish nation, who lives, exists for me, and does so only in this world to accomplish my mitzvahs and learn my Torah, how much more so I have to let them live. They did something wrong, I have to forgive. What is the point? The point is God said that the bugs have no value. And by having no value, and God still allows them to exist, it gives us credence. Gives us credibility. No. What did I do now? I ate a bug. On purpose. I ate a bug on purpose, giving it... Giving it credence. Giving it value. Making it worth something. If I'm giving it credence, making it worth something, so what do I say, what do I say now? When God and I do something wrong, God doesn't say, Oh, look... I let the bug, which has no value, because it does have value to you. You made it, you put it on a pedestal. The old supply and demand story. It's only worth something if you want somebody wants it. Can't sell it to you if nobody wants it. <laughs> Speaking of bugs of value, you'll enjoy this story because talk about your favorite nation. An Italian a Jew and a Chinaman are sitting on a plane. One next to the other. And a fly comes along and lands on the Italian shoulder. Italian goes, ew, flicks it, it goes onto the Jew's shoulder. The Jew goes, ew, flicks it, it goes onto the Chinaman's shoulder. The Chinaman grabs it and eats it. Makes sense, huh? Good. No, needless to say, the Jew and the Italian were not exactly. <laughs> but 
A little while later, another fly comes along. Another fly ventures along, lands on the Italian. Italian flicks it to the Jew. Jew to the Chinaman. He eats it. This is starting to sound like the Chadgadja at the end of the Ugada. Kitsa, when the third fly comes along, the Italians get skeptical. Should I flick it or not? Because if that guy eats another fly, I'm going to puke. But he doesn't want him on a suit. The Jew, in turn, is looking at the fly and getting very excited. What does the Jew have in mind? And as soon as the Italian flicks it to the Jew, the Chinaman is sitting there raising his eyebrows and licking his lips. The Jew grabs the fly and says, I'll sell it to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> supply and demand. <laughs> Since there was a demand for the fly, the Jew found an opportunity to make it worthwhile. And same thing, same here, by the person eating bugs, we are giving it credence, we are giving it value, and by making it valuable, we are causing ourselves major damage. Therefore, says the Tana, it's without an Aleph, because anyone that eats bugs is a total idiot. Return to the regular schedule program for the Benikas Chomets tomorrow night, after nightfall, in order to use the candle, because a lot, a little light pushes away much darkness. Their mitzvah er, candle of mitzvah, also is the light of Torah. And therefore, we want to be bathing dafka with a candlelight, which therefore has to be done at night when the candle shines the best. I heard from somebody the other few years ago, actually. When they do Madikas comments, they leave all the lights on so that they don't miss anything even though they walk around with a lit candle but they leave the lights on we don't we turn off all the lights the children place 10 pieces of bread as we said before is in congruence with what the Gemara tells us about putting down 10 pieces and finding 9 each piece has to be wrapped properly in foil or something of the sort so that no crumbs will fall out. These 10 pieces of bread, today, Baruch Hashem, as we sell, if you could sell a fly to a Chinaman on a plane, you leave it to the Jews to come up with these ideas, and they sell you pre-packed Bidikas uh, Chavetz. Yes. Which is, you have the feather, you have the wooden spoon, you have the wax candle, and you have 10 little pieces of bread in individually wrapped bags. So I don't know That's it. It's a Tikus Chabot's kit. First time I saw it, I was going to go, what is it? I, when I was a people kid, buy people buy it. You're kidding. They buy it like crazy. Nobody has bread in the house. What are you going to put out? Do you buy it? No. You make your own? Yes. Okay. Um... The Medikas Chomets has to be done with a candle, as we said, because we have to check the nukes and crannies. Yes, sir? Wait a second. 
446 Kingston. No. Three seventy six Kingston. Why is there a blank, an empty line here in the middle? There's an empty line in the middle. Yeah, there's one. Okay, so then it works. So it works good now. So now I filled in the blank. Three seventy six kings. Okay, question basis. <laughs> okay, one way to remember. You can call the rabbi and find out what I put on my paper. Um, the feather is used to scrape off, scrape up anything that a person might find crumbs around where the bread was. The wooden spoon has many different spiritual reasons for it. The main physical reason is because after the ten pieces are collected, they're put into a bag with the remaining candle and the feather, Excuse me, the spoon is then put in, but not totally immersed in the bag. And the handle of the spoon has to stick out, and we tie the bag. Why is the handle of the stick sticking out? So that a person will remember the next day they have to take it to burn it. If you just see the bag there, you won't necessarily remember what it is. See a bag with a wooden handle sticking out, you remember what it is. So in order for the person to remember, now don't think that it's so outlandish that a person can forget people tend to forget the, the strangest of things especially when you get senior moments Bible chametz make the bracha albir chametz for the burning of the chametz the destruction of the chametz although we are only burning the chametz the next day we well, keep it all day oh. it's kept overnight in a secure place not near any place of the things The bracha al-bir chametz is made, and we have in mind that we're going to do the actual beer tomorrow. So when we go to burn the chametz on Friday, we don't make a bracha for that. But we had in mind the night before when we said, by bedikas chametz, instead of saying al-bedikas chametz, we said al-bir chametz for the destruction of the chametz. After bedikas chametz, we are secure and sure that we found the ten pieces, we counted them. We don't know what else we might be missing. So we say, Kol Chamira Vechamira Dike Bereshusi, it says in the Haggadah, or it said in Aramaic, sorry, it said in Aramaic, because people in those days used to be fluent in Aramaic. The person says that anything that I have in my Rishus is now Hefkik Afredara comes totally ownerless. Then the person puts away the chametz. Hopefully he can get some sleep that night. Being finished with everything else. And the next morning there are zmanim. 
there is a zman for ending when how long we can eat chametz, and there's a certain time how long we can burn chametz. Consult your local rabbi for those informations. You can once the zman achilas chametz finishes, you may not eat anything chametz. Once the zman bir chametz finishes, you may not have any chametz in your possession. Um, usually this is taken care of before the end of eating of chametz. The sale. So you're selling the chametz tomorrow? Or Friday, Friday. Because people will still be coming tomorrow. Okay. Um, some okay. On Pesach, a person should not leak stamps. Well, today we don't have to leak the stamps, so the envelopes, you have everything is sealable. In the olden days, they used to have to leak the stamps and leak the envelopes to seal them. Um, the glue is not kosher with Passover. We cannot leak it. Every mitzvah that we're not allowed to do, any commandment, the negative commandments, is preferable that a person should want to actually do that. However, because the tailor told me not to, that's why I'm not doing it. Chomets doesn't have that problem. You don't have to want to eat chomets. You don't have to sit a whole Pesach saying, oh, I'm yearning for a good piece of chomets. And therefore I'm refraining. If a person has a family tradition of certain restrictions that are more stringent than usual, a person should see to keeping, upkeeping the stringencies of the family. There are many different dinim that a person cannot exaggerate. You have to, everything has a little bit of a leniency, something that you can not, well, slightly deviate. Shabbos, for example, and we're not allowed to carry. But if you make an Erev, you can carry in the Erev. What is the connotation of the Erev that it makes it one Rishos, etc., etc.? But ultimately, the stringent people won't carry in an Erev either. You're allowed to be so stringent. That you can be straight. And there's other things, though, Kashrus, this and that, a person shouldn't go over, over, overboard totally. Pesach, there's no such thing. There's no limits to how from you can be on Pesach. There are people that wash eggs for Pesach, before they use them, because in the old days, the eggs were, the, the, the chickens and the eggs and the food, and the, the, the chicken fee used to be all in one place. And therefore, the chicken fee sometimes had chametz in it. If the chicken fee had chametz in it, the egg was laying next to the chicken fee. So the outside so of the washed them with water. Washed them with water. They washed them with water. Um, but um, regardless, today's days, no matter how clean they are and everything else, one should cook eggs in a special egg pot. They should, yeah. This pot should you be designated only for eggs. You don't put anything else in there.
Uh, the custom is if something falls on the floor, a keli, a vessel, we don't use it on Pesach. So say you can wash it off properly. In Chabad, we don't wash it off. We just need sugar, right? Custom is, matzah falls on the floor, we don't eat it. That would make sense. Fruits. We peel all fruits. We do not eat pe- fruit, fruits with peels on them on Pesach. Matter of fact, we don't eat vegetables on Pesach. For example, tomatoes. We peel our tomatoes. Just because they touched something that is They could be the spray, they could be whatever it is. Um, and, and in turn, anything that we can't peel, we don't eat. Ironically, we eat romaine lettuce for murder. Can't peel lettuce. However, as much romaine lettuce that we have to eat for mar, after we cannot make it in salad. We only allow the lettuce to be eaten for mar. The whole, the whole pestle? Yeah. Now, mar has different, different, uh, not versions, but different things that are customary to be eaten. Those that eat only the mar sticks, um, which are very, very, very potent, very powerful, not spicy, they just, they burn the stuffing out of you. Those that eat romaine lettuce or regular lettuce, not let, regular, either romaine lettuce, um, if you eat romaine lettuce, you just have to remember that it's going to take a lot of time to check them, to clean them. Regular romaine lettuce, and I'm talking about the ones you buy in packages today that are from the ground, that doesn't have worms. The regular romaine lettuce, if you put it in a pot of water, you will find 90 out of, 90 out of 100 times, you will find worms. They float to the top. You put it in water with salt and everything else. They float to the top, but you will definitely find it. I just shudder remembering when we had to do this. It's just, oofs, rough. See, the Chinamen would eat them just like that. There you go. <laughs> I remember specifically, like, like, I said, what is the worm doing in there? And my sister looked inside and said, <laughs> the backstroke. Um, it was a trauma. Anyway. We don't eat in other people's houses on Pesach. It's a very powerful custom, but in the vein of the stringencies, those that make their own Pesach and keep all the ro- rules and regulations and laws with a stringency, don't eat in somebody else's house on Pesach. The Pesachah have a magnificent custom. On Achron Pesach, the last day, where we have, we let down our guard in the world of stringencies. For example, we would never, we don't eat what's called gibraks, matzah shruya. We don't eat matzah in, in water, or matzah in soup, or matzah in anything. Matzah has to be totally dry. Needless to say, we don't eat matzah balls either a whole week. However, on the last day of Pesach, First, you can eat. 
Huh? You take it out of the, you take it out of the Ziploc bags, correct. <laughs> Therefore, the Polish have a meaning that Achran Shal Pesach, after davening by day, they go to a neighbor or a friend to make Yiddish. The reason being that the Sultan sees a whole week that Jews don't eat in other people's houses and the Sultan comes right up with a conclusion. They don't trust each other. They don't trust each other. They don't love each other. There's nothing. Look how how horrible this, this, this holiday is. What kind of custom is this? The Jews are so miserable. And Sutton looks to, of course, antagonize. Kutz again, Achen Shabesach, on the last day of Pesach. And we dafke go, not we, Perlisha, dafke go to a friend's house to eat, to make Kiddush, not to eat, to make Kiddush. You can bring your own wine, but to make Kiddush. Why? To tell the Sutton, you see, we did mix. So although it's customary not to eat, not to borrow, not to eat in other people's houses, also not to borrow their kalim, their vessels. <laughs> An interesting custom. Um, but no. Tishbiyerech. And Bob, if they do this, <laughs> and you don't even mention bread. No mention of bread throughout Pesach. Refer to it as chametz. You don't call it bread. Yes, sir, we're just finishing a shear here in the house. Come on in. Okay, fine. So let's try to do it early morning, please, because I may be out after. Okay, no problem. You don't say the word um, bread. <laughs> There's a uh, bakery, which we get our cakes from around here, actually. It's called Bagels. Bagels. Some people say don't say their name either in Pesach. Mm. Not bad. Potatoes also, if you cook them in a pot whole, without peeling them, it should be a separate pot just for the potatoes. You should not use that pot for anything else, because the peels touch the pot. What did they do back in the days? Before we had all this... You have to understand that back in the old days, you had a problem with only one pot or two pots. <laughs> Today's day and age, you have many more pots than that. Therefore, by having more pots, you have no problem with what to improvise, to cover with this pot, with that pot. In the old days, one pot it was a big problem. But they really thought about those small rules and details? Back big, then? big time. Big time. Um, candle lighting this Friday night is about 7.10, 7.12. 7, 
maybe earlier. The candles must be lit before seven at that hour because it's Shabbat. Now those people have a custom the women light the, the candles when the men come home from shul. On Yom Tif. But now being Shabbos, that's not possible. So Friday night the candles should be lit before the incoming of Shabbos. And Matzah Shabbos, of course, one has to wait until Shabbos goes out, which is about 8.15, before they can light the candles. So Saturday night, say that really is not going to start till about 9 o'clock until you can get your act together around there. Um, the second Shabbos, Ba'achan Shal Pesach, we have to do a Erev Tavshil. We hope, hope and pray that we'll be in Yerushalayim this Pesach and we'll have Lechem and Azvachim and Absachim. But if God forbid or not, we will try next Wednesday to give another shir on the second days of Pesach. Chakosh Sameach a happy and a kosher Passover to all. Yes, sir.